0: Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I Never Told You, production of iHeartRadio. And it's time today for another female first, which means we are joined by our good friend and coworker, Eve. Yay! Hey, y'all. Hi! <laughs> How how are you? We haven't seen you in a while. We're in our virtual studios,
1: and you have moved, right? I have moved. Um, it's been a wild ride. So you know, if I sound any different, that's why I am in a new room. I have a new recording set up here. But um, I'm lucky to have moved. I can't complain that I'm in a place where I can stay and I can sleep and I have shelter over my head. So all is well in that regard. Of, of course, there's a lot more going on in the world, <laughs> and I'm also involved in that world, but the small container of a new home feels pretty nice.
2: Oh, <laughs> nice.
0: I like it. I there's sort of a running joke during pandemic times when people are interviewed um or on these kinds of things, they always have books behind them because it's, you know, showing off that you're <laughs> smart or it's just it looks nice and you have books yeah, behind you. I so do, do I. But yours look much more (laughs) uh, clean than mine do for someone who has just moved. And I have been here for several years.
1: And my place looks like it's going to topple at any minute. Don't give me too much credit because the only thing you see is the books. And the books are one of the first things that I organized because it was so easy to just say, okay, here's a box of books, Mm. put it on the shelf. So, like, that's in order and Mm -hmm. it looks nice. But, you know, that's... Order among chaos. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it is really satisfying to get your books out and like putting it all in order how you want to do it, whether it's yeah. like aesthetically or alphabetically. And then yeah. you're like, oh, look, I, I've got books.
1: <laughs> yeah. So pr- promise you, it's not about me looking smart, smarter
0: or smarter than you. <laughs> oh, I actually yeah, am. sure, Eve. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Just to put that out there. My ego has nothing to do with the books behind me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Sure, sure. It is a very nice frame. Uh, I used to do a lot of videos, so I appreciate there's books on one side, kind of offset, and then you got your microphone. Mm -hmm. Thank you.
1: Yeah. I didn't expect a composition compliment, but... I I'm always
0: it.
2: always ready with
0: that.
1: You know what, Samantha? <laughs> you look good too. You got a blur. She's
0: got the Skype blur going <laughs> I'm on. I'm just a
2: blur. I don't I don't actually want you to see what's behind me because <laughs> there's nothing about behind me other than maybe some concerns about like how are you living right now, Samantha? What is wrong with you? So I just blur it all out and all you can see is color. Hopefully I stand out in that brightness.
0: That might say something about your uh, how you deal with emotions. <laughs> That's fair. Yes, I just want to blur it out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trying
0: to get too in-depth. I was yeah, just I was telling
1: you. are getting pretty deep right now. I
0: know, I know. Well, the... I, it, it was my job for a while. Um, I know listeners know I'm very annoying when it comes to like fonts and um, transitions and movies, composition. So I got to let it out sometimes. I love it. I feel
1: you.
2: Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm not
1: mad at it. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: Um, And it kind of, books is a good segue into the person we're talking about today, actually. So can you tell us, who did you bring?
1: Yes, true. Books is a good segue. Today, we'll be talking about Mary Seacole, who has a very, very interesting history and biography. So I brought her to the table today because her autobiography has been considered the first one that was written by a Black woman in Britain, But there is a huge asterisk on that. I'll go ahead and say the name of that autobiography, which is The Wonderful Adventures of Mrs. Seacole in Many Lands, which is a great, like, a great title. Um, As a person who's an aspiring adventurer and, like, just loves the idea of travel and there's so much culture and history and just social implications that are wrapped up in travel based on, like, who had access to actually be able to travel. Um, was super interested in, you know, the the outward appearance of like who she was, um, but yeah, like I said, there's a huge asterisk on this one because of the controversy that surrounds the truth of her autobiography and what actually happened in her story. Um, so. There's a lot we'll get into in that respect. Um, And I think that ties in well to the thing that we usually say in these conversations, which is the disclaimer around what a first is, what a first means. And in Mary Seacole's case, a lot of people wouldn't even say that it's a first um, because of her history and her ancestry, you know, depending on what side you talk to in this debate. Um, But yeah, I don't want to get too ahead of myself. But I'll just say that I just think it's a great opportunity to talk about what a first actually means, you know, what it means to have sorts of debates like this when it comes to the historical record and biographies. Yeah, I don't want to go. I won't go too too deep into that <laughs> yet. I think I need to actually get into her story first.
2: Right. <laughs> but I love the title. I think that's the yeah. first thing. I was like, oh, my gosh, this seems, seems so fantastical. But yes, yeah, that's why you were reading more about it. I was like, oh, that's a lot of right. intensity in that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I was um I've been reading it on and off the book since you suggested it, Eve, mm-hmm. and um I love like not even the chapter titles, but at least from the source I was reading it, um had like sub chapter titles mm-hmm. of what happens in the book. And they're excellent. And, you know, I don't know how much of it's true or not, but everything, I was like, this woman did so much. Right,
1: right. Oh, man, traveled everywhere. Yeah, the chapter titles are like very descriptive of what happened in her travels. Um, Yeah. So, and and then there are also a lot of questionable diction. There's a lot of questionable diction in the way that she refers to people and refers to herself. Mm. Um, Yeah, so it's one of those things like, well, you know, she gets to tell her own story. So there's the line between she's telling her own story and what actually happened. Yes. Um, And the bias that can come in in a person's own story, but also the truth of a person's own story that's coming from their own voice. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So on that note, I guess I could say that she's been, you know, kind of pitted in the same category as Florence Nightingale. And throughout the book, this debate that, you know, that has come up in terms of her biography is that she never called herself Black. So going back to what I said, she's considered to have written the first autobiography by a Black woman. Well, she never called herself Black. She called herself Creole. And she had a mixed race ancestry. And and I'm sure that you read this because you were reading the autobiography, Annie. But she says in it in one place, I have good scotch blood coursing in my veins. And that comes near the beginning of it. So she's very clear about, you know, her position on this from the very beginning. She would describe herself as yellow, um, and she was fair-complexioned. And um, she had a white father and a mother who was of mixed-race ancestry as well, whom she called a Creole as well. So um, there were also descriptions in the book of Black people that were she specifically, like there are parts where she says something like, while the good-for-nothing Black cooks, Instead of lending me their aid, would stand by and laugh with all their teeth. Just want to call in here that obviously I'm using these quotes out of context. So if you would like to read the book yourself, uh, that would be great to do. So you can see the lines that come around these because I can't quote the whole book verbatim. Um, but there are a lot of instances where she others people. And it's sort of clear that she's not considering them to be within the same group as her. Um, But there are also instances in the book where she seems to be recognizing racial discrimination that she faced and commenting on that and commenting on issues like slavery, even though that didn't happen so much. But all of that said is just, I would love to preface the conversation of the conversations that are around her of all the myths and the myth-making that has been happening and quote-unquote campaigns around what her legacy should look like and what people who are supporters of Florence Nightingale want her legacy to be about. So just that's just a preface. And we could actually talk about her life and her autobiography now. Yeah. Yeah, and
0: that's Mm -hmm. a a great preface. And um, I know we'll get to this probably at the end, but there has been sort of a very recent um, campaign, as you say, or just sort of recognizing of Mary C. Cole Mm -hmm. and a lot of conversations around that are happening right now, so.
1: Yeah, and always, there are always conversations about, okay, what were the missing or unidentified or ones that are legacies that were pushed to the bottom because of a person's race, because of Mary Seacole's situation, was a Black woman, which is a conversation that's going around. Well, was her history suppressed or hidden because she was a Black woman working within this imperialist space that was Britain? And bringing her history back up in order to recognize that. And on the other hand, people discrediting her saying that, you know, she was three-quarters white. I'll just start by saying that she was born in Kingston, Jamaica in 1805. So um, her mother lived there. Um, Her father was white. He was from Scotland. There's a little bit of discrepancy over what his profession, actually, or his occupation actually was. It's been said that he was an officer in the British Army, but there are conversations around who he actually was, but he was white. Um, And then there was her mother who was, like I said earlier, of mixed-race ancestry. Um, And Mary called her mother Creole, like her. She supposedly learned her nursing and all her business skills from her mother who ran a boarding house in Jamaica, which was called Blundell Hall. And so yellow fever was like a common disease in the Caribbean at the time. And her mother probably learned the herbal practices that she practiced with one people and she used on people from enslaved women who in turn learned from their ancestors. So there was that passing down of herbal medicinal knowledge. Um, and she, Seacole herself considered, like I said earlier, considered herself Creole and British rather than Black. And in her autobiography, she didn't talk much about the socio-political, the whole climate that was happening around her um, as she was living and working in Jamaica. Like the uprisings that were happening that enslaved people were organizing or the abolition of the slave trade and slavery, which happened in the early 1800s. But she was aware of the situation with slavery in the U.S. and um, mentioned the people who were escaping it and commending them. So when she was born, and just for us to talk about the climate at the time. She was born. Slavery was still in practice in Jamaica. And in fact, enslaved people outnumbered white people greatly in Jamaica. There were some free Black people, and then there were Creoles on the island as well, people of mixed-race ancestry. And Mary herself was born free, and she had this pride to be a British subject. And she was committed to the idea of empire. She... Really wanted to go to London when she was a child. And she did end up doing that for the first time somewhere early in her life. And she's pretty, she's pretty uh, what is it? Nebulous is the word. She's pretty vague about the details of her early life in her autobiography. She kind of breezes through those points. Like I'm trying to remember what she said in her autobiography. It was something like, we don't need to mention my age, like she, she kind of didn't want her age to come up when she was talking about when oh, she yeah. went to London. <laughs> yeah,
0: it was, she even says something like, give me a widow, give me that to right to
1: not tell you. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, it was very, uh, very, yeah, it was, she didn't want it to be said, but um, it was in her earlier years when she went to London. She ended up going there for some time and then she left Um, Oh, but I will mention that there was a part where she says she was teased or made fun of because of her complexion, along with a companion who was there with her, who she said was a little bit darker than her. Specifically, she said, I am only a little brown, a few shades duskier than the brunettes whom you all admire so much. But my companion was very dark and a fair, if I can apply the term to her, subject for their rude wit. So um, she talks about that experience. Um, when she went to London. A year later, she went back to London, Um, and then she brought back with her a bunch of West Indian spices and homemade jams, and she stayed there for a few years this time. So she spent a lot of her earlier years traveling in the Caribbean and Central America, which, as I said earlier, it means that she had access to be able to travel to all those different places. Um, And she ran taverns and she ran boarding houses and along the way learned about medicine. Um, and she leaves out a lot of detail in the autobiography, especially of those first years. She details more of her later years in the autobiography. but they're even with the details that are there, are often dubious. Um, and have been called into question after it was, after the autobiography was published. So, the detailed chronology of her life and exactly how she made a living at this time and this time, and all the business ventures that she was in, and what she actually sold and what she actually did, um, has been called into question. But in her travels, she did sell food goods and she did help her mother and ran boarding houses and worked with her brother. And there's a lot of, business ventures and and back and forth on the things that she sold that she was clearly involved in. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: I was trying to do a timeline before (laughs) this, and I just got so confused and gave up and essentially came to the conclusion she traveled a lot. Yeah. And did a lot of things.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's basically like, uh, yeah, I think putting together, like, a first it was this, and then she went to this place and then she went to this place is uh, would be very hard to do um, based on like because there are a lot of things that she said in her own autobiography then things that other people said about her quotes about her from military personnel and then the historians who have done work on her and um, yeah it's but she definitely did travel a lot and she was in Central America she was in England and she, she traveled, and during her travels, she did tend to people and did sell provisions. So she did also marry Edwin Seacole in 1836. He died not long after. He died in 1844. And around the same time, like during these years, she had some things happen to her. Like her mother also died. Her home and a boarding house caught on fire. Um, and she was able to bring back up the boarding house bundle hall and was up and running with success. Within a few years, but here's, you know, she's still traveling during this time. So in 1850, she joined her brother in present day Panama. And Panama at the time saw a lot of travelers who were on their way to the California Gold Rush. And she went there at the time before leaving. She had, she talks about in the book how she had all this clothing and foods made and all of these jams and all of the, sausages. I don't know. I feel like I'm making up sausages. I can't remember all the (laughs) foods she said she had, but she had a bunch of foods and was preparing things. In Panama, she sold supplies to travelers and she ran a boarding house there where she served as a doctress. And that's what she called herself. She didn't call herself a nurse. Um, So she practiced in herbal medicine and followed in the same path as her mom and actually talks in the book or says in the book how she admired her mom. Can't remember the specific language that she used, but she looked up to her mom and says that she wanted to follow on her path, and that was important to her. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, I think I, when I was putting together her story, and you know, you start with her mom, was a respected, had this boarding house, was respected. I don't know that she would use the word doctress, but uh, did medicine, practiced medicine. And she, um, Mary Seacole kind of followed in those same. Steps, she did those same things.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, she did. And she got a reputation for helping people um, who got in cholera. She says in the book, she talks about a few of her medicinal recipes, not too many of them, but she talks about giving them water in which cinnamon had been boiled. Um, she talks about she used mercury and mustard poultices and plasters, but there's not a whole bunch that's known about the exact recipes that she used for her remedies. Um, and she also treated people who were hurt in fights. And while she was in Panama, she opened a place called the British Hotel, which actually served as a restaurant. And she also, around this time, when she was in Central America, ran a women-only hotel.
0: I just want to put in here, because I found it really interesting. Um, on the other podcast I do, Savior, we just did an episode on yeah. cinnamon. It was a classic. And mustard. And those both have been used medicinally historically. So I personally found that very interesting.
1: Nice. Yeah. Um, uh, there is a whole conversation about the the practices and the medicines that she actually used on people and her being discredited because of the practices that she used on people and she didn't have any formal nursing training um, and things like that that we'll get into later. But um, there are a few more um, things that she used that are listed in the book as well um, that you could look up. Yeah, so it's super interesting. Mustard, oil, mustard, the essential oil and the mustard being the thing that's helping. And yeah, I imagine you you know way more about that than I do, Andy, <laughs> since you just... Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was
0: really I- interesting because it's not one of those things... Mustard is not something that comes to the forefront of my mind, and I've been doing a food show for a while, and almost everything was used medicinally, yeah. um, at some point. And mustard is one that I was like, huh, because it, it lasted for a long time. People used mustard medicinally, mm-hmm. pretty like up into
1: the 1800s, 1900s. Yeah, I. Um, this really is unrelated to the show at all, but I, <laughs> um, <laughs> I was looking up mustard. Essential oil for an unrelated reason. Like it had nothing to do with Mary Seacole. Um, just because I was trying to figure out, I wanted to make an inhaler that like has properties like wasabi does. Oh yeah. For like the sinus clearing, and mm-hmm. um, figured that like mustard may be helpful. Mm-hmm. And then realizing that it was like uh, toxic in some ways. But anyway, yeah. that's like a whole aside. Um, <laughs> but yeah, really interesting. Um, so yeah, anyway, back to the story. <laughs> <laughs> I like this. I keep talking about all the things here. <laughs> you should look into wasabi. There are wasabi smoke detector things. Really? Mm-hmm. Wasabi smoke detector. What is that? Well,
0: I think it's for if, if you have trouble hearing, can't hear uh, the wasabi smell. Okay. And kind of that feel um, will, will wake you up. and You know, because you can't hear the alarm, then you'll mm-hmm. have that going on this wasabi was an episode we did like three years ago so this is all very rusty <laughs> dusty in the back of I my brain but, but you know maybe further research but yes uh we could go on to the side about uh <laughs> horseradish and mustard and wasabi products for a long time but perhaps let's get back to Mary Seacole. <laughs> we have some more of our conversation with eves but first we have a quick break for a word from our sponsor
1: Thank you, sponsor. So she went back to Jamaica at a point and then back to Panama. And along the way, she continued to treat people and sell goods. Um, But when she learned about Britain's involvement in the Crimean War, which took place from 1853 to 1856, she decided to volunteer her services. So as the story goes, she wanted to be among the pride and pomp of war. I think she said something like along those lines in her autobiography. but. She wanted to volunteer her services and aid people and soldiers and officers in what way that she could during the war. But it's also been said that her motives were more to make money as a businesswoman rather than to aid sick and injured soldiers. So she was what was called a sutler, or a person who sold provisions to officers in the military. And so she would sell food and alcohol to officers and... That's, you know, also part of her story and has been debated, um, her true motives for going over and joining the war effort. But as she recounted in her autobiography, she brought letters of reference from British officers in Kingston, and people kept turning her down along the way when she was asking to volunteer her services. Um, There was Elizabeth Herbert, who was recruiting nurses on behalf of her husband, who was the secretary at war, who supposedly said that all the nursing positions had been filled. So she went to Turkey anyway, and apparently tried to join nurses, but was again turned down. And so there are other stories or elements of the story in which she said that she was turned down from a position because they would say the position was filled, and the question was whether it was about her race or not. But in her autobiography, there is a part in there where she questions whether her skin color had something to do with why she kept being turned away and said, Was it possible that American prejudices against color had some root here? Did these ladies shrink from accepting my aid because my blood flowed beneath a somewhat duskier skin than theirs? Also, the word duskier, that's the second time that I've said that in the quotes from her. I know. And it's definitely an interesting choice for <laughs> darker, duskier. It's mm-hmm. definitely one of those old those old things. But um, yeah, that's just an aside. So she she did decide to head to um, Balaclava in the Crimea herself. Um, and she intended to start the British Hotel. There was these uh, cards or flyers about it. And she wanted it to serve as a mess table and comfortable quarters for sick and convalescent officers. So it's said that because she was funding it with her own money, she could only treat people who could pay her. Um, But it's also, you know, the conversation around that as well is that it was first and foremost a business that really operated as a restaurant and a store for officers who at the time had much more money than soldiers It could actually pay for all the things that she was offering for purchase. So she did. She did provide supplies and food to officers and also spectators who came to see battles. (laughs) What? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Wow. I guess, wow. All right. You know, before Netflix. Uh, Interesting.
1: Interesting. Yeah. (laughs) It was a thing. And she's been described also as making tea for wounded soldiers and tending to their wounds. And she provided catering for events. So she talks about how during her work, she ran into British military personnel whom she had already known from her time in Jamaica. And many people referred to her as Mother Seacole and viewed her favorably. So when the war ended she went back to England with little money um, and not in the greatest health and she talks about how other people returned to England with more money but she she wasn't set up that way Um, and she had to declare bankruptcy when she went back to England and there are um, there's information in the press, um, a little bit in articles about the bankruptcy proceedings, um, which were possibly because of a venture with a business partner named Thomas Day that went bad. And this is just one of those things, like, it's not, we're not going to be able to fit everything in, but Thomas Day, um, was one of her business partners, was a white man and a bunch of rumors swirling around this Thomas Day guy, but, um, them getting to business ventures together that didn't go so hot, um, him potentially doing things that messed up their business ventures and messed up her money, um, potentially having a daughter with her. These are all rumors that swirled around Thomas Day. Wow. Yeah. So it's a lot, a lot of stuff like that in in her story, but there were creditors who were looking for Mary C. Cole for payment. And yeah, there are articles about her her going through bankruptcy. But... There is also this whole super interesting element of fundraising that happened around Mary Seacole. Because when work got out of her financial troubles, a fund was set up for her, um, though she apparently didn't get much money out of it. A bunch of fundraisers for her continued to pop up, and this included later in her life. Um, There was a benefit held in her honor that supposedly had tens of thousands of people show up and pay like a certain amount to get in. Um, so there are a bunch of these efforts that happened around raising money for Mary Seacole and kind of um, people who were attesting to her reputation and other people who didn't want to donate to money to her necessarily. Um, but that was a large part of her, her later life. And she was able to make money from some of those fundraising efforts yeah i was reading about those and and um as
0: you say a lot of the information around this is sort of i eh, don't know how true that is but one of the things i was reading said there was like a 4 day fundraiser for her yeah and like thousands attended and thousands of dollars was raised and like wow
1: <laughs> yeah yeah interesting uh-huh there is a lot of um praise that happens in her around other people who were speaking of her are saying she was, you know, the, the motherly seacole figure. figure. Um, she took care of me. I loved for her to be around. And that's been called into question as well. You know, there was a lot of that around surrounding her and also in these fundraisers were pretty, like they happened from time to time, happened occasionally. But this it was around this time, too, after she went back when her autobiography was published which was, It was published in 1857, um, and it was dedicated to Major General Lord Rokeby, who was a commander of the 1st Division in Crimea. It also contained an intro by Times correspondent William Howard Russell. He has one of those praising quotes, um, and we'll get to that later, um, but he's also supposedly wrote praising quotes about her as well. And in the book, she details her travels and her experiences in the Crimean War. She talks a little bit about the first half of her life, um, but then she spends more time on her years in Panama, even more time on her life in Crimea. And in the end, she talks about going back to England. So she did get some recognition and money from the autobiography, and it got some good reviews. Yeah, so that's the quick and dirty version of all of the travels that. Mary Seacole went through and the things that she said she did when it came to healing people. Um, she spent her later years in Jamaica and England um, and apparently aligned herself with a lot of people in the royal circle and upper circles. And, you know, she even was able to get property through her fundraising efforts later in life. And she died in May of 1881. Um, and she was buried in St. Mary's Roman Catholic Cemetery in Kensal Green in London. So that's the short of uh, her actual biography. But there, then there's all the controversy around what happened, the bringing back of her legacy, or t- talking about her legacy again, um, how she's kind of re-emerged in these times, and her inclusion in curriculums, there are sources and busts that have been made of her, showing that she got several medals, um, including the French Legion of Honor. But she herself never claimed that she won any. But there are a lot of sources who that say she got this medal and she got the Crimea medal. And but that none of those have ever been attributed to her, and most likely she did not get those because you know even the Crimea medal required her to have served. So that's part of one of those things that there's been debate over and people are trying to correct the misinformation that's going around about her. Um, Since her autobiography was published, there have been more editions of it that were published as well with different introductions. So as you said, Annie, earlier, there are a lot more people who have raised her legacy to the forefront. And that has also brought up people who are questioning the use of bringing her legacy to the forefront again, and what she actually did. And part of that is because of Florence Nightingale, who wound her way into Mary C. Cole's story in some parts. So there are stories about how Nightingale didn't approve of the alcohol that she sold to soldiers or officers, um, that she wasn't supposed to do that, that it was improper, and... Her being turned down by Nightingale because she was black. There have been other instances, um, specifically one where the BBC in a show or in a program called Horrible Histories portrayed Seacole in a certain way and portrayed Nightingale in a way where it made her look racist. She pushed Seacole out of the way because, and she was dressed as a nurse. There's a bunch of controversy over the portrayals of Nightingale in relation to Seacole that. Put Nightingale in an unfavorable light, essentially. So, there, all the critics of Seacole and the supporters of Nightingale have said that Seacole's role in the Crimean War has been really overhyped. So, they've claimed that like her treatments weren't as effective as they've been portrayed. She didn't really actually save a bunch of lives, but that her care was comforting to people who were sick and or who were hurt. But her actual use and benefit, or if you want to put in those terms of production, but, you know, her actual, what she did for people was hyped up to discredit Florence Nightingale, who doesn't look the best in Seacole's biographies. And it's been said that some of that misinformation has been circulated so that she can replace Nightingale as, quote, the founder of modern profession of nursing. So she wasn't, they also say that Seacole wasn't a nurse, um, though places like the BBC as I was talking about earlier in the, that program, Horrible Histories, had portrayed her as such. Um, so some of those people even went to the BBC and said, hey, look, this portrayal of Seacole isn't correct. Like, you need to fix it. It makes Nightingale look bad. Um, and the BBC fought that complaint for a while, but said that ultimately said that the portrayal of Nightingale was inaccurate. But there have been people who have been very vocal about what they say is the myth-making around Seacole. So, specifically, there was a professor and a former MP in Canada. Her name was Lynn McDonald. Um, so she's been super vocal about it. Um, and she was involved in, I think, co-founded the Nightingale Society. She has a bunch of videos on the issue. And she's one of the people who really puts forward the idea that, yes, yeah, Seacole was really kind and generous, but... She didn't save a bunch of lives. You know, she did things like tend to sports injuries. She said that she wasn't actually a battlefield nurse, as some people make her seem, um, and doesn't deserve to be treated as a pioneer in nursing. Um, So they kind of, what they do is portray her as an opportunistic businesswoman, basically as that settler character, instead of the nurse character, um, who has when we're looking at, if we're going to look at her legacy in terms of that kind of characterization, um, but who happened to be good at comforting military personnel who needed it. So she was, uh, they say, yes, she could have been this Mother Seacole figure who did help treat people, but kind of downplay the importance and the actual impact of the work that she did um, and say, well, you can't, discredit Florence Nightingale's legacy and history to make Seacole look better in any way. That's kind of the angle that that they come from. So yeah, that's the whole <laughs> whole part of the way that people look back at um Seacole's legacy. Yeah.
0: I find I find that fascinating. You've probably run into this more than I have, Eve, since you're more into like history worlds than I am, but um, just how many times in history we've pitted female historical figures against each other instead of kind of just looking at this story and this story. What did this person do? What did this person do? Instead, it's like, well, who is the mother of modern <laughs> like nursing or whatever it is? Which you should definitely examine those relationships. But I just find it um, sort of telling that that happens a lot with um, women in history.
2: Right.
1: Yeah, and hasn't stopped today. You know, that's still a a thing that happens in, for instance, like the rap industry or different artistry industries where women are pitted against each other. Um, And in this case, um, the whole... Yeah, it's kind of like a Florence Nightingale versus Mary Seacole beef that... We're we're putting on them from the future, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and yeah. Not that not necessarily happened while they were both alive, but yeah, it's a, it's definitely something that there is a thread of when you're looking looking back at history and how women were pitted against each other.
0: Yeah, um, and I do think like as we as we always say about first and, like, um, how, how many firsts were erased and all the stuff that happened to lead up to a first and the erasure right. of um, women of color and black women specifically when it comes to white women. Like, I think that's totally a conversation worth having always. Right. It's just funny to me that it becomes, like,
2: <laughs> you can't take this away from Florence Nightingale. <laughs> right. And it does have a bigger conversation in that it... Th- Not only does it talk about the erasure of what one another did, which is kind of like, why can't we just celebrate that both they did something and it approved and it was something to be credited for. But on top of that, like that conversation that we continue to have is like, why is there such limited space that we have to have an argument about who's worth talking about instead of actually just bringing in the holes. Like, this is an amazing thing. Let's celebrate all of this. There's enough space for everyone. Why not? Right.
1: I think that's a really great point you bring up, Samantha, just because in thinking about the arguments that people have against their people, these people are saying, you know, her, her, we should, they shouldn't necessarily include her in curriculum, is what I was trying to say earlier when I couldn't get the <laughs> word right. But um, that they shouldn't necessarily include her in curriculum. And there was this fight over whether she should be taken out of curriculum because of the way that the m- supposed misinformation that has been going around about her. But I think it's a great point because the points like, oh well, she didn't necessarily save a bunch of lives. She just made people feel better. It's like, and there's nothing wrong with that. Right. Both and can be okay. Both and are valuable, and it kind of devalues it. It, it makes the work that people do when it comes to healing, mm-hmm. when it comes to treating people, um, it devalues some work over the next. Um, and in this specific case, values the work of a white woman over um, a woman with Black ancestry. Um, and I think that um, it's just so many layers to the conversation around Mary Seacole Cole, because there's the element of race itself mm-hmm. with, and I didn't even get to the other side of people. So I'll get to, I'll get to that right now before I even dig deeper into that side <laughs> so I can explain that and make it clear because there was an, is another side. These people who I was mentioning earlier who are critics of the way that her legacy is being proposed, a lot of those people are protectors of Florence Nightingale's legacy, which should be said for sure. Um, but there are the people on the other hand who have said that her history has been erased and overshadowed by Nightingales. Um, but then there are people who aren't even talking about Nightingale. They're just like, well, Seacole's legacy deserves to be talked about right now. Um And the, there are people who do view her as a black woman and say that her accomplishments should be viewed in that light. And they reject the view that Nightingale supporters put forth saying that that downplays and discredits people who used herbal remedies mm-hmm. to help people and other traditional practices in healing. And that she did really have success in medicine and in minor surgery. Um, And that all the moves to remove her from curriculum and to strip away her Blackness and claims that her accomplishments are exaggerated are just kind of strategies to remove her contributions from Britain and that historical record Mm -hmm. and discredit all the things that she actually did do. Mm -hmm. So you know, they're calling into question, her critics are calling into question that anything she did ever was important. Even if they say, oh yeah, this happened, she definitely helped people, but does it really matter? Do we really need to talk about it? Right. Um, And so there are the issues of, well, there's her race, um, questions over percentages over her race of that she was three quarters white and only one uh, quote unquote quadroon. And that she really was very fair-skinned and did have privilege. And then there's the issue of her not calling herself Black at all. And then there's the issue, well, you know, we still need to recognize the things that she actually did when it came to treating people. Um, And even if it wasn't to the extent of saving thousands of lives, did she actually leave an impact on the people that were involved or that she treated. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just so many layers to it, um, which makes her history just so complicated. And as a very tangible and real example of that, there is a statue of her at St. Thomas' Hospital in London, which is affiliated with Nightingale, which Nightingale's folks took as kind of a flight to them. <laughs> They're like, why is Seacole here? She didn't do anything. Right. And on it, there's a quote that's attributed to the Times correspondent who I spoke of earlier, William Howard Russell. And the quote was, I trust that England will not forget one who nursed her sick, who sought out her wounded to aid and succor them, and who performed the last offices for some of her illustrious dead. Mm-hmm. So that's one of those praising quotes that comes from someone else in speaking about C. Cole. Um, And that's on the statue. And there was a whole debate over why that statue should be there, whether it should be there, and that seacole shouldn't be honored in that way at the hospital because of Nightingale's legacy that's wrapped up in the hospital.
2: That sounds like a narrowed version of all lives matter. I mean, I know that's good kind of a generalization, but just like, why are you, it's not one against another. It's that we're focusing on something that was significant at a time, whatever it may be, and that we gave credit to that not a lot of people know about. And that should be celebrated and it's worth celebrating. It's not a like a slight to anyone else. It's not to slap you in the face and be like, ha ha, see, we're not about you. And it's such a like yeah. weird like conversation, especially because Mary Seacole, maybe she wasn't as medically um, knowledgeable as Nightingale. I don't know. But what I hear as a social worker, I'm like, what we have discovered as of late, and I know I'm just stretching, is that if mental health is not taken care of, that physical health may not be taken Mm -hmm. care of either. That's much Mm -hmm. medical procedures that can happen. And it sounds like Mary Seacole did kind of all of that. Like, not only did she try to bring the medical aspect, but she also gave the mental health, loving, nurturing aspect as well that was a little bit more unheard of at that time of crisis. You know? And I'm like, why can't we credit her for that? Right. And oh, I love that point because it's something that
1: people wouldn't necessarily have had the language for at right. the time. Yeah, like, right. she wouldn't have been saying mental health, in quotes, <laughs> but right. she would have been performing that. Here's the line. She says, I do not think that we hot-blooded creoles sorrow less for showing it so impetuously, but I do think that the sharp edge of our grief wears down sooner than theirs who preserve an outward demeanor of calmness and nurse their woes secretly in their hearts. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you're talking about Black anger? You're talking about perceptions of Black anger? And notwithstanding all of the Black women's anger, specifically, Mm -hmm. um, and pain and Black women's pain and the way that we show it and the way that it's perceived and the way that it's treated. And I'm like, well, I need to read that line like so many more times because there is a lot that can be called into question in the way that she spoke about other people and looked at other people and viewed them as not part of the group that she was part of. Um, But I totally agree with what you're saying, Samantha, where it's like in an explicit and not so explicit way at the same time that people who are criticizing the work that she did do, they're recognizing the fact that, they, that she did address mental health. And she did make people feel better. And she did help people. But saying that that's not worthy of our praise and our recognition. So I think that in a way devalues, I mean, there's a lot that can be said about you know, the, the criticism itself. But the fact that they acknowledge that she did work and devalue it at the same time, I think Take some credibility away from anything that may actually be credible that they're calling into question.
0: Right. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed as well. <laughs> we concur. <laughs> we do have a little bit more for you listeners, but first we have one more quick break for a word from our sponsor.
2: And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. I, I just think um, we were talking about Lucy Parsons, but Mary Seacole just kind of brings up a lot of issues that are happening today in a different aspect, and different time frame. And it's just wearisome, I guess. But at the same time, like, ugh, validating, like, yeah, this has been a thing. And this has been a conversation. And it's just in a different narrative. And this is why it's so important that we do look at the history of what has happened. And what is happening then, what is happening now in that same level of her, whether practices in medicine, whether it's being acknowledged. And I read the information that she was talking about the fact that Americans were more um, racist towards her or prejudiced towards her. And she noted that it was Americans, (laughs) which is really (laughs) sad um, in every way, because it seems like it really hasn't changed. Maybe I'm just too caught up in everything that's bad here (laughs) in the U.S.
1: Yeah, there was a part too, I think, where, if I'm remembering correctly, I think where she said something along the lines of, could it be that here in London, when she was in London, they have the same prejudices that they have in America? Yeah, Um, Yeah. so, yes, uh, it's funny because, I mean, there's obviously the conversation about racism that's explicit and racism that's veiled and um, all of those conversations and... uh, (laughs) Um, yeah, I think that goes deep because, you know, she presented, she was very fair-skinned, so she presented in one way and also says that she had experiences of being treated as a Black woman. So,
2: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's it's a lot that, to unpack. It is, mm-hmm, yeah. Definitely.
1: It's very, um,
0: complex and nuanced conversation happening around her. and the, And the book will say from what I've read is enjoyable and it did make me think a lot and also if anyone if I you're like on the fence about reading it one of the chapter like subtitles is I am taken for a spy and thereat lose my temper so uh (laughs) come on (laughs) come on it's a great title yeah yeah um and I feel like as a society we definitely like to we don't like complexity and nuance a lot of times. We just like the bite-sized headline thing. So I'm glad we're having this conversation now. I think it's really important. Agreed. Well, thank you so much as always, Eves. Such a pleasure. Always learn so much. Always love seeing
1: you and hearing you. <laughs>
2: yeah. You um, too. <laughs> yeah.
1: Where can the good listeners find you? You can find me on social media. Um, you can also hear me on This Day in History class, a podcast about history. Um, but yeah, you can find me on social media. I'm at Eve's Jeffcoat. You can also look up This Day in History classes' socials. They're all at TDIHC podcast. And yeah, that's about it. <laughs>
0: yeah, and definitely... Go check all those things out if you haven't already. And if you'd like to contact us, you can. Our email is stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast or on Instagram at Stuff I'll Never Told You. Thanks as always to our super producer, Andrew Howard. Thanks again to you, Eves. And thanks to everyone for listening i have Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.